Alright, Second Chronicles chapter 18. So I think I had mentioned somewhere along the way that I'm either Yosemite Sam with both guns blasting or a Mr. Rogers. So this week I'm going to try to be Yosemite Rogers. <laughs> I'm try to. What did you say, Second Chronicles? What? 18. I do feel like I'm at a point where I don't feel like fighting battles or preaching against issues. Just want to preach, I think. Because I'm not going to fix the Messianic world. I can't even fix my own life. So. <laughs> so we'll just preach and see where we can come with this. So, Second Chronicles 18. So... This is probably just going to get fleshed out as I go through this, but the idea is there's two men here that are presented to us. Um, both are good men, but one is weak, that's Jehoshaphat, and the other is strong, and that's Micaiah. And the contrast between the two is interesting, and Though we don't know any further results about the life of Micaiah, as far as I know, <clears throat> than what we read here, we do see a little bit of fallout in the choices that Jehoshaphat made. And I want to at least start, we're going to start with that aspect of, of briefly hitting upon Jehoshaphat and some of the consequences, and then maybe juxtapose it to Micaiah and what he did. So... <clears throat> Let's pray, and then we'll just start. Father, I ask that you bless. I pray, Father, that you'll help me to be submissive to the leading of your spirit. I'm not saying that everything I say or do will be of your spirit, because I still have flesh in me, but I just ask that you will be pleased to use your word and help me to present your word in such a way that your word will have power and have impact, and that we will just be changed to be more like our Savior. In whose name we pray. Amen. So, I don't really know how I want to do this. If you look at 2 Chronicles 18, verse 1, it says, Now Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah. So Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance and joined affinity with Ahab. Now Ahab is the king of Israel. And probably you know that Ahab's just not a good guy. And every time I read this, I and because I know the story and where it's going to go, it's like I don't understand why Jehoshaphat would join affinity with Ahab. And the word affinity, depending on what translation you have, it might more or less say, but affinity, according to Webster 1828, says the relation contracted by marriage between a husband and his wife's kindred and between a wife and uh, her husband's kindred. So it's a marriage contract. Uh, they get together, and he joins in affinity with Ahab, and we'll basically see how that plays out. But I just want you to see that. You know, I want us to be able to look at Scripture and start to be able to start to see the telltale signs. Little flags should go up. It doesn't mean when your flags go up that there are flags that you need to be aware of, but when I see this alliance taking place between Jehoshaphat and Ahab, to me, that is just red flags all over the place. Could it end up well? We always want to think that when we have these kind of alliances that are coming together, that the good is going to come out of it. But many times in Scripture, if not most times, it doesn't turn out well. And so, I just, to kind of get into this, but I don't want to spend time on it, I, I just want to see, want you to see how it plays out. So here we have Jehoshaphat, he makes affinity with, joins affinity with Ahab. And then, go to uh, chapter 21. Now, we leave Jehoshaphat and we go to his son Jehoram. And in chapter 21, verses 5 and 6, Jehoram was 30 and 2 years old when he began to reign. Now, this is Jehoshaphat's son. And he ate, reigned 8 years in Jerusalem. 
And he walked, now he's the king of Judah, but he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, like as did the house of Ahab, for he had the daughter of Ahab to wife, and he wrought that which was evil in the eyes of Yehovah. So, if I understand it correctly, and I'm not sure that I do, but this affinity, this marriage covenant that took place, it was with his son Jehoram, who ends up uh, marrying the daughter of Ahab. So, Jehoshaphat reaches out to Ahab, thinks it's a good idea that his son marries the daughter of Ahab. Right? Am I, help me with this. I am seeing it correct because I have to shake my own head. So he walked. So what happens is he doesn't walk after the ways of Jehovah as much as he walks in the ways, way of the kings of Israel like the house of Ahab. He was a bad guy. And so rather than, this is my take on it if, if I'm wrong, fine. But rather than telling his son not to do this or not putting his son in harm's way, in my opinion, this should not have happened. So you go from Jehoshaphat to Jehoram, now go to chapter 22, verses 1 through 4. So it goes Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, now Ahaziah. Now it gets a little confusing because there's Ahaziah, who's a king of Judah, and there's an Ahaziah, who is a king of Israel, and it kind of gets confusing. Um... So, and so anyway, so in chapter 22, verses 1 through 4. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem made Ahaziah, his youngest son, king in his stead. For the band of men that came with the Arabians, uh, for the band of men that came with the Arabians to the camp had slain all the elders. So Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, reigned. Forty and two years old was Ahaziah when he began to reign, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Athaliah, the daughter. And again, that's, that's a term for grand, granddaughter, really. His, mother, his mother's name also was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri. So the way this works with the kings of Israel, if I can find where I wrote it down, um, it goes from Omri, 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 however you say, Omri, Ahab, to another Ahaziah. Not this Ahaziah, but another Ahaziah. Now, notice what happens in verse 3. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother was his counselor to do wickedly. Wherefore, he did evil in the sight of Jehovah like the house of Ahab, for they were his counselors after the death of his father to his destruction. Now, are you following me? Here, this is just bad. And what I put just for my own sake, what we have here is unity gone bad. <laughs> right? This is unity that is disastrous. Okay, I have to let the Mr. Rogers come out. This is not what we want to see happen. Jehoshaphat made a decision that affects his son and then the grandson. There's ramifications to decisions of making affinity that outlast him when he's in the grave. I want my grandchildren to not turn out like that. And so grandpa, somewhere, somewhere along the line, has to, while he's growing and rearing his family, has to start not doing this unity thing. Whatever it may be, who your kids marry, who they don't marry, and just a myriad of, of decisions that have to be made. Jehoshaphat struggled with this, and I hope I have this later on. Uh, where's my notes? I got, I, get so, I got myself so confused in this. Oh, okay, so... Um, because he's weak, not only does he join with Ahab, but notice chapter 20, verse 35. If you think he would learn his lesson, and we'll get to whatever I want to go to in a minute. He didn't. It says, and after this did Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, join himself with, here's the other guy, same name that we looked at, joined himself with Ahaz, king of Israel, who did 
wickedly. And he joined himself to him to make ships to go to Tarshish, and they made ships in Ezengeber. So he didn't learn his lesson when he joined affinity with Ahab. Now he's going and doing it all over again for the second time. And I get confused. Honestly, I'm confused. I don't understand how good people can make these choices and do these things. I, I don't get it. It's not in my makeup to be able to understand a good person who is weak when it comes to making decisions that will have ramifications for generations to come. For the moment of expediency to achieve unity. When we are after unity, it has to be biblically based unity. Or it's just going to be disastrous and there will be a cost. So did everybody follow me with this? Did I, did I do yeah. it? I hope I did it right because I get confused in trying to piece all these puzzles together. And I think I got it right. And I don't want to beat that to death. But we cannot be Jehoshaphats anymore. We can't have unity for the sake of unity so we all get along because, especially now in this Messianic movement, there's a unity that's going on that appears to, to, to smooth out differences now, but the generations, if Yeshua chooses to tarry, are going to reap the consequences of this. Well, we're dead and gone! And I can't do that. I'm not, I'm not built that way for whatever reason. It doesn't mean I'm perfect. It doesn't mean I have it all together. It doesn't mean that I don't compromise myself in my own personal life. But when it comes to stuff like this, we just can't do it. Now, Jehoshaphat's a good guy. You know, it'd be one thing if he was a wicked king that rebelled against God and chose to do this in defiance. He doesn't. He's a good guy. But he does not have, evidently, the capacity within his makeup to be willing to face conflict. Sound familiar? It just is so... It's the same story over again. And what is just driving me to such... I'm disheartened, I am. I don't know how else to say it. I'm not discouraged, although I am, but not to the point where I want to throw in the towel and say, although I do, I just want to go eat, drink, and be merry. That's really all I want to do right now, but you can't. But what disturbs me is, and I feel so arrogant and haughty and know-it-all-ish by saying this, but do not people read the Word of God? You know, do we just read it as a textbook or do we take it as a mirror into our own life and say, oh, wow, God, I, I can see this in my life and I can see where I've done that in the past and I'm heading this way again and I don't want to. But how can we have Messianic leaders that just want to get together across the board for the sake of unity and not realize that sometimes unity can go bad? And though God lets us live and God is, gets mad at us because we show everything to the Babylonians that come, and, and, and God says, you know what? I've spared you. It's not going to happen in your life. And we can be all happy. Woohoo! Doesn't that bother you when you read that? But the guys that come after you, they're going to pay the price. I don't want us to be like that. Somewhere along the line, somebody's going to have to take a stand. Now, I want to juxtapose that, and this, that was just a, a sidelight as to, I didn't even think about that when I did this. Now, we have a good guy who's very strong, and I love this guy. So, verse 1, now Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance and joined affinity with Ahab. And after certain years, he went down to Ahab to, uh, went down to Ahab to Samaria, and Ahab killed sheep and oxen for him in an abundance and for the people that he had with him and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth Gilead. You know, can you, you have to imagine the scene here. A lot of pop and, pomp and circumstance. And I'm sure they were all feeling good about themselves. And, and the external public manifestation of everything was glorious. Mm -hmm. yeah, and everybody was thinking, what a good thing is going on here. It's a big conference. Chapter 18, verse 2, Second Chronicle. Yeah, it's a big conference. Everybody's getting together. 
in the, the Joe Schmoes out there who are supposed to be God's people that haven't been paying attention to the word of God, the prophets that have been speaking, they're thinking this is a good thing. This, this is just great. All right, verse 3. And Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Wilt thou go with me to Ramoth Gilead? And he answered him, No, I'm not going with you. My people are not your people, and we're not going to war with you. That's what he should have said. That is what he should have said, but he said, no, that's not what he said. And he answered him, I am as thou art, and my people as thy people, and we will go with thee to war. And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of Jehovah today. Therefore the king of Israel gathered together of prophets 400 men, and said unto them, Shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat's no fool. He says, Is there not here a prophet of Jehovah besides that we might inquire of him? And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, There is one man by whom we may inquire of Jehovah. But I hate him, for he never prophesied good unto me, but always evil. The same as Micaiah, the son of Imla. I just want to go hug Imla, whoever he is. See, here's Imla who has a son who is going in the direction of God. Unlike Jehoshaphat, whose immediate son does not go after God. We don't know anything about Imla, as far as I know. But anyway, I like this guy Imla. The same as Micaiah, the son of Imla. And Jehoshaphat said unto Jehoshaphat, I don't think like that. Now, what is interesting always to me is, you have 400 of these prophets. Jehoshaphat evidently thinks there's something goofy about this and wants to hear from God. So is there anybody? And, and Ahab says, there is one guy. One guy now how would you like to be that one guy you are not popular right now there's this big meeting going on pomp and circumstance and I'm sure he must have been speaking out beforehand because we'll get this he's never prophesied anything good he's the naysayer over here everybody's over there on that beautiful white big square that we stand on he's over here now we read this, at least I read it, and, and I kind of, uh, uh, I can't think of the word right now, not fantasize, but make it into um, whatever the word I can't think of, glamorize it. I tend to glamorize this guy standing for God over here. You know, and, and, and from removed, I'm thinking, oh, what a man of God, go for it. I want to know what he was thinking. You know, when you're alone, you're alone, period. Now, also, it says, I hate him. Now, you know, we've gone through some teaching here and in, in, in the medicine that hate is just too strong of a word. It means too strongly dislike. We've been through all this before. I never agree with this. God loved, uh, God hated, how's it go? God loved Jacob, hated Esau, whatever it is. And when we try to explain away the fact, it doesn't mean hate. It means this, and we kind of water it down. I don't agree with that. Because we're going to see later on that Jehoshaphat gets chided for uh, getting a, going along, aiding those that hate God. So what is it? Well, we just had a strong disliking for God. <laughs> you know, I don't know that we need to water down these words. Yes, there may be a different perspective from God as he hates. But that just simply means God is really P.O.'d. Okay? And, and there's something going on here. And just because the word hate, you know, we tell it to the kids, don't say hate, it's a bad word. I'm just tired of that stuff. Hate's a good word. You can just use it correctly. But I hate him. It's not, you know what, I strongly dislike him. No, he hated him. Why? Because this guy, I, you know, <laughs> I hate him. For he never prophesied good unto me, but always evil. <laughs> I love this guy. Nobody loved him, though. And I'm sure he felt pretty much alone. He's kind of out of season right now. His style of preaching is out of season. 
You know, it's, it doesn't go with the 400 prophets and the big crowd and all this pomp and circumstance. You know, you're out of style. You're out of touch, Micaiah. Come on. We've moved forward from that. We're, we're not, that message is just old. Get off it, would you? If you were right, wouldn't there be more people with you? But look at all this over here. And you're over there by yourself, and you want us to think that you have the message from God? Do you understand the conflict and the tension and the turmoil that could possibly have been going on in the life of this man? Yet he was willing to stand before the king and not tell him good stuff. It's John the Baptist going before Herod and saying, What you're doing is not lawful! You know, again, and I... I glamorized John the Baptist, but he had to be thinking, you know what, this is going to cost me my head. And I think the difference between a Jehoshaphat and a Micaiah is one has already determined, I'm dead. It's like the band of brothers when, can never think of his name, uh, Spears walks over to Blythe and gives him a speech. Blythe, what, what was wrong? I was afraid. You know why you were afraid, Blythe? I was scared. No, because you still think there's hope. As long as you still think there's hope, you never be the soldier that you need to be. You need to come to the point where you're already dead, Blythe. And when you perceive yourself as already dead, then you can be the soldier you need to be without remorse and without regret. We're not dead. And that's why Paul talked about dying daily. That's why he said, I'm crucified with the Messiah, and nevertheless I live. And it's my problem. I, I'm telling you, this is my problem. I'm not dead to myself. I'm not dead. I, I'm not Spears talking to Blythe. I'm Blythe listening to Spears talk to me. And, and God's people are in the foxhole because they're thinking there's still hope and they're not willing to just be dead already. And Jehoshaphat didn't want to be dead already, but Micaiah knew, just like I think John the Baptist knew, this is going to cost me my head. There's a price. Right? Are yeah. we talking? Nobody wants to pay this price. Because we want unity. No, we're afraid. <laughs> this talk of unity simply means I wish these people would say, you know what, I'm just a wimp and I can't do the bad. We can live with that. Then just get out of the way, fulfill your role. There's a battle going on and let us do the battle. Don't, don't weaken the whole troop. You know, it's time we say to these Messianic guys, Go back with the 30,000. You're going to discourage us, the rest of the people, in the battle. And that's what's happened. We're not soldiers of the cross anymore. Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? Are there no crosses for me to bear? No, no. This is all we're walking this. What, we're in the airport. Take, no longer do we have to walk. We're kind of, what's that thing called that you step on? Escalator. You know, we're on this walking escalator where it's just all easy. There's no work involved. You don't have to lug anything. You know, this is... That's just not truth. It's not biblical truth. So, <clears throat> verse 8. And the king of Israel called for one of his officers and said, Fetch me quickly Micaiah the son of Imla. I hope, I, you know, I've often thought this Imla alive. You know, and, you know, I want to think he, he I want to think he'd be like me to Luke. You know what, Luke, this sucks, this stinks, this is what you're in right now, but hang in there because, um, uh, Paul said, let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. The truth is we're going to grow weary, but we can't quit. But it's okay to be weary, but we can't quit because we have to get to the due season. Same guy that said in season, out of season, there's a due season. We can't quit. So, son of Emma, verse 9, and the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, sat either of them on his throne, clothed in their robes. They're, they're on the platform. You know what? They're on, they're on the platform. And there's a crowd out there. And we're just doing it all over again. And we're so proud of ourselves. So full of ourselves. <laughs> so... They sat on their throne, clothed in the robes, and they sat in the void place at the entering into the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets 
prophesied before them. Now, I've honestly tried to put myself in this because I can preach real bold and I can preach real strong right now and I can say what should be done and what should be done. Would I, and I've asked myself this and you have to ask yourself, would you, are, would you be strong enough to oppose this? Would you have been strong enough this mission, this, this um, alliance, this ministerial alliance, as Lester Roloff used to call this sort of stuff, this ministerial alliance, are you willing to stand to the side and preach against it? So all the prophets, verse 9, end of it, prophesied to them. Now, Zedekiah, I know I'm being cynical, but I'm not yelling, so I feel like I'm okay. <laughs> because this is what happens in the Messianic movement. Some guy comes up with this new idea, and everybody thinks it's grand. And so we start doing it, and then we have to go one step further. So this next guy, he's, he's the guy that decides, you know what, when it comes to uh, Passover, you know, we've been doing it a certain way, and this guy's kind of bland. This year, let's get all dressed up in our priestly garb. We'll have one priest, Levite, leading, another one come in the rear guard, and then you'll have one carrying a cross, and on it this shorn lamb. And we'll put a thorn, a crown, a crown of thorns upon it. And we'll parade it for our service. Does it never end? Now, so, 10. And Zedekiah, the son of Canaan, uh, made him horns of iron. <laughs> Everybody's saying, I wish I had thought of that. And said, Thus saith Yehovah. Now, he does not know at this point what a scary spot he's putting himself in. And that's why being a preacher is such a scary thing. Once you stand up behind this thing, preaching God's word, saying this is what God says, whoa, this is a scary place to be. I don't like it. I like it less than I ever did. Because I realize the responsibility. So he, he, he said, now I'm going to tell you what God told me. This is, what, this is what Yehovah said to me that I should do. With these thou shalt push Syria until they are uh, consumed. And all the prophets, they started saying the same thing, saying, yeah, go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper for Yehovah shall deliver it into the hand of the king. Yes! Our emotional needs are being met because a collective here is emotionally stirred and it seems to verify my feelings. Verse 12. And the messenger that went to call Micaiah spake to him saying, Listen, the words of the prophets declare good to the king with unity. One assent. Let... Your word, therefore, I pray thee, be like, just, you just be like them, would you? Would you just be like them? Aren't you tired of being the one guy that ruins the party all the time? <laughs> Micaiah said, as Jehovah liveth, even what my God say, I would, you, it, it'd have to be left to roll off. And Micaiah, as the Lord liveth, even what my God saith, that will I speak. You know, I don't know how he said it. Or did he sound more like Mike Tyson? Well, as the Lord liveth, <laughs> even what my God saith, that will I speak. And when he was come to the king, the king said unto him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And he said, yep, go. <laughs> I have to imagine he had a smile on his face, because they had communed enough, the king knew him well enough, he knew the king well enough. I think they're probably on conversant terms here. And he had the strength to say, in essence, you know what? You're going to do whatever you're going to do anyway. Nothing that I say is going to change anything. We've had these talks before. You know, you know what I'm going to tell you. You know I'm not going to agree with you. Why are we doing this again? You're trying to put pressure on me because you have all this massive crowd and you're hoping I'll be, you're hoping that I will wilt. So go for it. Sure, go for it. 
Answer a fool according to his folly. Don't answer a fool according to his folly. There's a time to talk things out. There's a time when enough is enough because you end up looking like a stupid idiot. Yeah. So, the 14, go ye up, prosper, and they shall be delivered into your hands. And the king said, and how many times shall I adjure thee that thou say nothing but the truth to me in the name of Yehovah? I think he really wants to know the truth, but he really doesn't want to know the truth. Right. So, um, 16. So, all right, you want to hear it? Here it is. You know, I did happen to see, because I, I, I'm a sarcastic type of person, I, I, so this is how I, I say, you know what, okay, you want to know here? I, I did happen to see, by the way, uh, you know, it seemed like all Israel was scattered upon the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And Yehovah said, these have no master, let them return therefore every man to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you that he wouldn't prophesy good unto me but evil? This is just, how do things get so reversed? This is the exact opposite. He's telling them the truth for his own good, or, but he thinks it's evil, and it's not for his good. See, I'm baffled how things get so twisted in people's minds. To where I'm surprised Micaiah didn't start to think he's the crazy one. How do you stand and stay firm time after time after time after time after time after time in the face of the king, in the face of the 400 prophets, in the face of probably the people that are supposed to be good, but there's just one prophet right now. How do, how do you stay in the midst of that and not begin to question yourself and think you're crazy? So 18, again he said, Therefore, hear the word of Yehovah. And this is just like Isaiah. I saw Yehovah sitting upon his throne, and all the host of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left. I mean, he's claiming a lot here. You know, and I want to think, you know, though our congregation is in the off-season, we're down to just a handful, I want to think that there are a few angels just hanging out here today. Talks about it here, sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left. I mean, you can't see this with the natural eye. He's seeing this, and this is what's going on. God enabled him to see it. 19, and Yehovah said, and Luke, you've hit on this in the past, and I think I have too. So, so you have this scene in heaven, Yehovah sitting on his throne, the hosts of heaven are standing on his right and on his left, a massive thing. So you have this, you know, big grouping. So Yehovah said, all right, and I, I, you know, why God does this, I don't know. But who shall entice Ahab, king of Israel, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? I mean, God's wanting this to happen. And one spoke after this man or another, after uh, that manner, then there came out a spirit and stood before Yehovah and said, I will entice him. And Yehovah said, wherewith? And he said, I will go out. And I can still remember the first time I read this. It blew my mind. I'm going to go out and I'm going to be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And Yehovah said, it'll work. Go for it. You know, thou shalt entice him. And thou shalt also prevail. Go out and do even so. Now therefore, behold, Yehovah hath put a... Now, we're back to Micaiah. We're still with Micaiah, but now... So he's wrapping up. So, so this is what's happening, king. Behold, Yehovah has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these I prophets, and Yehovah has speaking evil, spoken evil against you. Then Zedekiah, son of Kaniah, the guy that made the, the horns, came near and smote Micaiah upon the cheek and said, Which way went the spirit of Yehovah for me to speak unto thee? And Micaiah said, Behold, thou shalt see in the day when thou shalt go into an inner chamber to hide thyself. Then the king of Israel said, Take ye Micaiah and carry him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son. And say, Thus saith the king, Put this fellow into prison and feed him with bread of affliction and water of affliction until I return in peace. He's going to jail. Not going to have a very good diet. And he still opens his mouth. If there's any time, my wife would have been saying, Honey, just shut up now. Would you just shut up? But he says, You know what? If you return in peace, then hath not Yehovah spoken by me. And then he said, hearken all ye people. Look, this is a guy. This is, this is a man's man. Now, go back 
this, uh, verse 20, Then there came out a spirit, stood before the Lord, said, I'll entice him, and, and Yepha said, we're with him. And he said, I'll, put a, uh, I'll go out and put a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Go to 1 John 4 with, with me. 1 John 4, which, you know, the Messianic movement is all but abandoned, in my opinion, the, the new, what we call New Testament, New Covenant, and I don't like the word, but I don't know what it's called. So, we, we have to get over into the last third of the Torah. 1 John 4, 1 says, Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. You know, how many, it's thousands of years, a couple thousand years, I don't know what the time is from Micaiah to John writing. It's the same thing. Nothing has changed. You think we would wake up and realize that just because we're living now, and God seems to be doing this thing, and there's this new messianic movement, we need to realize that we are primed for the pitfalls and traps of what has happened to God's people all along because they think they're the newest and latest and greatest thing and they never learn from what has gone on before. We don't test spirits anymore. You come in with a kippah, a prayer shawl, talk about the Torah, say the Shema, um, you know, do the Sabbath thing. We just automatically assume everything's okay. But it's not. And where we're getting in trouble right now, Luke and myself, Luke more, <laughs> is we're trying to test the spirits. And just because somebody looks like a duck and quacks like a duck doesn't mean it's a duck. And just as somebody looks like a sheep, talks like a sheep, dresses like a sheep, doesn't mean it's not a sheep in wolf's clothing. What did I do? I always get the back. A wolf and whatever. Change that around. But we're thinking, still, because we've come out from Christianity, that now we got it together and it's everybody else out there. Nobody's going to infiltrate here. Or any other Messianic movement. But it was going on as soon as the Apostle Paul left and Yeshua said the same thing after my departure, there's going to come in wolves as sheep clothing, beware. Oh, that's over there. How did I get off on all that? I don't even know where I am here. Oh, okay, so the Spirit. So, verse 23. Oh, so we read all that. So, so you know, be careful. God might just allow a lying spirit to go forth on his behalf to accomplish his purpose, which, I don't know, maybe it is God's purpose to bring to an end this first phase of the Messianic movement. Even the one... One of the guys that we really still admire and like has said for years he doesn't believe that this first manifestation of the Messianic movement is the, is the final Messianic movement, right? Am I right on that? You know, there's still weeding out and change that needs to be done. So, verse 28. We're going to go through... Uh, what did I say in my notes? Oh, Yes, yeah, so 28, we'll go, we'll go through 19, verse 4. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. And, the, and again, another, you know, how can God's people be so stupid? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, you know what, I got a plan here. I think it's a good plan. I think you'll like it too. I'm going to disguise myself, and I'm going to go to battle, so they won't know that I'm the king. But you know what, why don't you put on your robes? So the king of Israel thought this was a great idea, and... Um, uh, the king of Je Jehoshaphat thought this was a great idea, so he go back. So the king of Israel is going to disguise himself. Jehoshaphat's going to put on his kingly robes. Does anybody not see through that right away? I'd be, I, I know exactly what would come out of my mouth. Do you think I'm an idiot? No. This is not what we're doing. And this is why people don't like me, honestly, at times. No, I am not doing this. Well, what, this is a good plan. Jehoshaphat, I, I think this is great. I'll disguise myself, but you put on your kingly robes, and everything's going to be fine. And I'd be sitting there saying, I wouldn't have been there in the first place, I want to think. But if I had gotten to that point, I said, you know what? Enough is enough. This is craziness. I'm not doing this. I'm out of here. Right? Am I crazy? So, uh, 30, now the king of Syria 
had commanded the captains of the chariots that were with him, saying, Fight ye not with small or great, save only with the king of Israel. And it came to pass when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat the idiots, like he shouldn't have been, that they said, Hey, look, it's the king of Israel! So they compassed them about the fight, but Jehoshaphat, realizing he's an idiot, I don't know if he sends up a flare, flare prayer or how he does. He cries out, and God being the God that he is, thankfully, otherwise he'd kill all of us, Yehovah helped him, and God moved them to depart from him. Thank God that he comes in still on all of our lives. <laughs> it saves us from ourselves, or we would not be here today or tomorrow. Yeah. So 32, for it came to pass that when the captains of the chariots perceived that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back again from pursuing him. You know what? And, and God's going to accomplish. You can disguise yourself as much as you want. God is going to accomplish his purpose in, in, in the least likely way. So what happens is, you know, I don't know how this works. I always picture it like the movie Samurai with Tom Cruise where they're having that big battle and they're getting ready and, and they all stand back and they just shoot their arrows up in the air and they're, you hear, <laughs> and this massive wave of and, uh, arrows are just flying through the air and they're going to land where they're supposed to and they got their shields up trying to bounce it off, right? That's, this is what I picture it like. It's like this guy says, you know what? <laughs> I'm just going to throw it up. It's over in the enemy side. It'll get somebody, I hope. So he sends up this arrow um, so, 33, a certain man drew a bow at a venture. And, you know, wow, he smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harness. Therefore, he said to his chariot man, Hey, we need uh, turn thine hand uh, uh, that thou mayest carry me out of the host, for I'm wounded. And the battle increased that day. However, the king of Israel stayed himself up in his chariot against the Assyrians till the evening. And about that time, the sun going down, he died. And you would think that Jehoshaphat would have learned from this, but as I showed you already, wherever it was, he, he goes now, later on, to Ahaziah and does the same thing all over again. 19. And Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned to his house in peace to Jerusalem. And Jehu, the son of Hanani, another good guy, the seer, went out to meet him. And he said to King Jehoshaphat, are you supposed to be helping the ungodly and love them that hate Yehovah? Therefore is wrath upon thee from Yehovah. Another good guy. Are we really supposed to be helping those that hate God? Even though there's pomp and circumstance, they do things in the name of God, they have a bunch of prophets around him. We need discernment. You know, we talk about, it's always a gift of tongues, but there is stuck in there the gift of discernment. Remember, I mentioned this not too long ago. Is nobody praying for the gift of discernment? I want the, above all else, I want the gift of discernment. Because if you are just misled, then whatever else gifts you have, that may be gifts of God, are going to be going in a direction they shouldn't be because you lack discernment. I mean, I, I may not be seeing it right, but for me, discernment is, is so important as a gift from God. I could care less about whether I speak in tongues. I could care less about whether I can heal people. Although, if that's what God wants, they're great. But for me, you know, the gift of helps, which I'm not very good at, and the gift of discernment, they're, they're, you know, they're not Canina with the horn saying, yes, go for it. It's this little stuff over here that, that's not so fancy. That's, that's, that's not really, yeah. So, um, so then he, he has the nerve, Hannah and I, to say, you know what? Wrath is upon you from Yehovah. Nevertheless, there are good things found in thee, in that thou hast taken away the groves out of the land, and hast prepared thine heart to seek God. And Jehoshaphat dealt at, uh, dwelt at Jerusalem, and he went out again to the people from Beersheba and Mount Ephraim, and brought them back unto Jehovah God of their fathers. So, to me, this is a very confusing guy. He's a good guy. I think his heart is right. He wants to accomplish good purposes. 
but there's fallout if we're not willing. I mean, Jehoshaphat heard the message, I think, of Micaiah. You know, maybe he even pulled him aside and said, Hey, Micaiah, I need to ask you a few questions. And he chose not to heed. So, I think that's basically all I want to say. You have two men. Both are good, but one was weak, Jehoshaphat, the other was strong, Micaiah. And Micaiah had a fallout, a generational fallout, because he was not strong enough to fight against his own weaknesses. You know, we're all prone to this. And okay, it may work out for us, but we have to think generationally. That's why we're supposed to teach them to our son and our son's sons. But the person doing the teaching has to be an unfiltered stream as much as they can. Otherwise, you're just passing down muddied water. That's going to get more muddy. That's going to get more muddied. You know, I am no great saint. I'm just a disaster in so many ways. But I do thank God for whatever reason he decided to save me to help stem the tide of generational infirmity, impurity, disobedience to God. To where we can start maybe from a fresher flowing stream. To where I'm still muddied. But I want my children to be less muddied so that they can have children that are less muddied. And if we're not willing to, to notice the pitfalls and the flaws and the sins in our own life and deal with it and acknowledge it before God and let God change us, we're going to pass on to our kids our own inherent genetic, if you want to call it, weaknesses. And I can see it in my kids, but they're moving beyond me, and I want them to not be like me. However, we need to keep looking back, even as I father David, your father David, your father David, and we're talking generationally. I hope I can be the guy that said, you know what, Dad, great-great-great-grandfather, from what I gathered, was really strange, had a lot of foibles, a lot of quirks, seemed to have one foot in and one foot out. He was just, in his own way, a strange mixture. But, you know what? He was a work in progress and he allowed God to keep conforming him to the image of Yeshua to the day he died. I don't want to be a Jehoshaphat. You know, Micaiah, go to prison. Maybe it ended his life. John the Baptist, go to prison. It did end his life. Until we're willing to realize we have a cause worth fighting for and dying, we're just going to be a generational mess. And I think my appeal is we need to go to God his word, ask him to dismantle us and rebuild us. And I'm convinced that's why we in this little congregation here don't go to the word of God and those outside don't go to the word of God because the word of God is tough. You know, as I wrote in the blog, you know, coming to God's word, you get plenty of hugs, but you know what? He kicks you in the rear end. You know? So let's pray. Father, I pray that this will be a blessing. I hope I did it justice. Um, I know it's coming through me and my eyes and my perspective. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just, for those who are here and those who may listen, be able to enable people to not get tied up and twisted in, in my presentation, but to look beyond all this for themselves to find out and see what God has, what you have for them in a passage such as this. As they consider, are they a Jehoshaphat? A good guy, but 
going too far in this unity thing and not confronting? Or are we a good guy like Micaiah, who somehow, someway has the strength from you to be able to face the king and have an actual message that God gave him to give to the king? You know, help us to have something to say. I think it calls for this, Father. Especially, I think, as it comes to the end times, we're going to have to be willing to stand and stand alone. Not because we think and we're right, but because it's the right thing to do, even though we're not doing it all correctly. But believing that, perhaps, people will be encouraged and emboldened by a few people that will stand strong that will be willing to assemble and make up an army of priestly soldiers that are willing and able to do battle for you. And it is a battle. We don't want to read about this. Paul talks about it in his writings. There's a power of darkness fighting, and he's fighting against us and Peter. There's a roaring lion walking about. But we don't want to think about that stuff. You know, we want all freshly flowing streams with beds of clover and bees buzzing and it smells so good. And we are just so at peace. But there's a battle, Father. And it's coming. It's coming. We need to be prepared. Because in the end times, men are going to be lovers of self more than lovers of you. And they're going to not want to hear sound doctrine, but they're going to heap to themselves teachers having itchy ears. And so we're going to have to stand bold and strong, like Paul told Timothy. Be instant, in season, out of season. How do you do that, Paul? Well... Forget this unity stuff. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Yeah, you get to the exhort where you draw together, but there's that other part of it. No preacher likes being that guy. And I think Timothy struggled with it because Paul talked to him about having a spirit of fear, timidity. And so we all struggle with this, Father. None of us are strong. It's easy to preach all this stuff. I'm still don't, not sure what I'd do. I want to think I'd stand strong. But I've not had to face what John the Baptist has had to face or Micaiah had to face. Or all those dear forefathers of ours in the past that went to the stake and were burned alive, tortured, bodies stretched and racked. I, 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 we cannot forsake that heritage, Father. In Yeshua's name.